the two sweetest words in NBA sports history. Game seven. And you're joining us about five minutes after the end of game six in Miami, where an incredible heat comeback is thwarted as time expires on a putback. Um, Look, I'll introduce everyone except Tom because he hasn't said a word the entire time we've been on this call, and I'll just let him let his emotions out. So starting off, he's our mini basketball encyclopedia. Yuri Bilsic is on the pod today. How are you, mate? Good, Alex. And, man, that was one riveting game six. And who will set it after game three when the Celtics were 3-0 down to be where they are as we speak, series tied at three-piece, heading back to Beantown for the seventh and deciding game. It's just been one incredible ride thus far. From the mean streets of Melbourne, he's our sports facility owner and a fantasy team fanatic. Julian Balthasar from Melbourne joins us. How are you, man? Good, guys. Cannot believe we're here. In shock. Looking forward to today. From the Sports Confidential podcast, Jeopardy's favourite son, Jack Brophy, is back with us. How are you, Jack? Oh, I mean, it was all right. It wasn't that good, was it? <laughs> Just 0.1 second on the clock. Marcus Smart forgot to flush the dunny. It was in and out. And then uh, Derek White finishes it off. Can't wait to get into it. And you may have read him on the raw.com. It's probably an all-time podcast coming from this man, Mr. Tom Dev. The floor is yours. Have at it, mate. I still don't know what happened. I'm still processing it. I've had about six different people text me to make sure my heart is still all right. Um, I've never been this emotional about a basketball game in my life, I don't think. Um, when, it, when, when Joe called that timeout to review that Jimmy Butler shot, I, I, and, and you could tell his feet were, 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 weren't over the three-point line, I'm just, this is how it's going to end, and I, was just, I couldn't believe it. And then when Smart took that three, it was the most Marcus Smart thing ever to do, and it just did not look like it was going in for a second, and it almost did, but then, but then Derek White... I, like the thing is, Celtics have lost so many games of the last five years because they have failed to box out. They have failed. I mean, game five against Milwaukee last year, we failed to box out, and Bobby Portis got that put back. And it's just, it's nice for once to come up our way. And you know, I, 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 I'm running on all kinds of emotions right now. But that is just, this is what playoff basketball is about. Um, last week's episode was, was Tom's depressed. This week, it's probably Tom's stressed. I don't think I will sleep a minute between now and Tuesday's game, but bloody hell, this team, I was out watching game four. I was the most relaxed I've ever been watching a game because I'm like, what does it matter? Season's over. And three days, you know, three games later and it's 3-3 and we're going to game seven. So I don't know. I just, yeah, you guys can take it away. I, I'm just lost for words. I need a cigarette and I'm not even a Celtics fan, Tom. I can't imagine how you feel, mate. This is incredible. We were going to start the show with some news stories around the league and I think we just talked about game six for the first 10 minutes because that was incredible. Um, That third quarter of playoff basketball was one of the ugliest third quarters I've seen in a long time, but that fourth quarter turns into magic and this is why we're sports fans. The the emotion that you can hear in Tom is probably all through us at the moment. None of us are really Heat supporters, but an incredible game of basketball. Yuri, I'll start with you and we'll go around the horn about what you saw in that game. It was wild hay to say the least, wasn't it, Alex? Right from the tip and then basically the third quarter turned into a real grinded out fest where both teams just couldn't hit a bucket through the ocean. And there was a really, I'd say, that third period where Miami's best opportunity came to really hurt Celtics in terms of their personal fouls. They got Jalen Brown into foul trouble with four fouls, but I think it was about midway through the third. And Miami already got into the bonus with about 9-12 left in the period. And you're thinking that they should attack at every opportunity to the basket. But again, the change that Joe Mazzulla did a couple of games ago to reinsert the small lineup, take Robert Williams out of the starting lineup, reinsert Derek White back into the backcourt alongside Marcus Smart, it caused Miami all sorts of problems trying to get to the rim. And the Really, the biggest part with Robert Williams' defensive presence too, which Boston missed during stages of the regular season, was his presence not just blocking shots, Alex, but he altered so many shots. He altered Jimmy Butler to pass out of the paint where Jimmy would normally effortlessly get through for a layup or draw contact. And even the pump fakes today, as you probably saw, Mm. he didn't generate those. And the Celtics didn't bite for those pump fakes. And I think... They found out a way to combat Jimmy's very patient offensive moves. And where whereas Milwaukee and the Knicks had their fair share of problems in the first two rounds, Boston went to work with that. And I think that was one of the biggest reasons 
as to why the Celtics have able to at least stymie him and Bam's production in the last three games. And although I think the two of them today were, what, 9 of 37 combined from the field. And, of course, Jimmy hit that unbelievable free free throws after being fouled by Al Horford with, what, three seconds left in the game. They've found out other ways, I think, the Celtics too. And the rebounding count as well. Game five was... That was instrumental in terms of the offensive rebounding early on. I think they had about, was it, three rebounds early on in Game 5, which set the tone for the way they were going to absolutely crash on the boards. And that was something, I think, against Miami, which never really occurred too much in the first two series for the Heat. But I think the Celtics have found a way with Miami's smaller lineup. And especially today with the Heat going small, putting Caleb Martin in the starting lineup. Although, what did he pull down? 15 rebounds for the game. It was arguably yeah, his best player. 7 for I 13 think, for yes. 21 points in 41 minutes for Caleb. Yes, it was just a crazy performance for him yet again. He's basically been Miami's MVP of this series thus far. But this has just been... oh, There's no words to comprehend what the Celtics have done. Alex. They could have just easily packed in their bags, gone on vacation and said, well, we'll just prepare for next season, but we didn't know what next season was going to look like for them, right? Jalen Brown's max contract extension, they can offer him, what, five years, $295 million. Jason Tatum, five years, $318 million. But yet again, they weren't going to pack their bags and ride off into the sunset for this season. It was the same thing against Milwaukee in game five, right? After they lost game five, went into the district in game six and Jason Tatum went off for 46 points. So I think when you look again through the Boston Celtics through a rich history, and even I think there was a time as well, Alex, before I shift away from the conversation, from the 2002 conference finals against the then New Jersey Nets when they were down, what, 26 points early in the third quarter. I think it was game three of that series. Paul Pierce was ha- was having an absolute stinker, and he erupted for, what, 19 of his 28 points in that final term. So saw that same mentality in a way for the Celtics when the chips are down Miami absolutely went on that hurtling run, got in front when Duncan Robinson had that misdriving lap and Jimmy Butler put it back in to what make the score 83-82 and them to find that resolve again. And although the threes were just clanking, I think just got right here, they were 7 for 35 from the field. The other alternative ways of getting to the basket really helped them out. So that's the big strength I think the Celtics have learned from these last three games. When you talk about alternative ways, uh, Jason Tatum, 15 for 15 from the free throw line and Jalen Brown, 8 of 10. Jules, your turn to talk about game six because I, I want to give everyone a platform. That was a fantastic game of basketball. What did you see and how are you feeling? Uh, all, like Kev, all the group chats have just exploded. Um, there's so many chats that just had, oh my God, what just happened? That just um, came through all at the one time. Um, it felt unjust when I saw that last play where Jimmy got fouled. It just felt like the Celtics were up all game. They were the ones that looked like they were kind of going to take it to game seven. And then all of a sudden it just sort of crumbled. Duncan Robinson heated up last minute. Um, although he missed two really crucial ones, but um, yeah, geez, that, that last play from Derek White it kind of sums up who he is as a player. He's underrated, but he does the one percenters. Um, then there was a game. He had two assists, two rebounds, two steals, two blocks. And that might've been game five or game four. And it just really sums him up. It just does the little things that matter. And it couldn't have chosen a better player to, to win the game for them, to be honest. I'm, I'm a huge Derek White fan. Jack, um, I was going to talk about Jimmy Butler having 12 points in the last three and a half minutes. Is that what stands out for you for this game? Or have you got something else? Because there's a lot to pick from. Everything was happening here. Yeah, well, I think it does come down to moments. And um, we just, Julian just spoke about how Duncan Robinson, a.k.a. Jimmy Neutron lookalike, had two two (laughs) three-pointers, real opportunities. And they were open. They were there to be taken, I think. Um, Same thing, group chat was like, well, is he taking those threes? It was eerie similar to Jimmy Butler last year when he missed that three to go through. But that those threes were there to be taken. He's the best three-point shooter on the team. Um, unfortunately for him, he just didn't get the job done. But um, I'm interested to know um, your take on this, Alex. Do you, do you feel like this has shades of um, Kawhi Leonard's game winner over Philly? Um, I know that that was probably even bigger and Kawhi had a far better game than Derek White did. But in terms of that and being down 3-0, is it nearly in that echelon of moments? It, it was close. I actually immediately thought of that when I saw that ball get tipped in. I went, geez, if this was game seven, then that's a total Kawhi moment against Philadelphia. You're correct. But not all the stakes on the line, so I can't go all the way there. But I'm a, a Celtics hater. You know, I used to be a Lakers fan. 
even me, I've got to go, geez, that's fantastic for everyone on the roll. Unless you're in the arena in Kaseya Center in Miami, that's something that you just love to see. Absolutely. Tom, are you ready to speak again? Have you had a cigarette? Have you calmed your nerves? Are you still shaking? I can hear it in your voice a little bit. Yeah, I'm still running on adrenaline. I, I'm losing my voice because I've just I've, I shouted for about a minute and a half straight just saying the word yes, but after <laughs> um, I hit that hit that um thing. But look, the stat that uh, I, I mean, I've gone through the Twitter timeline as as you normally do, but um, the stat that's just stood out to me was tweeted out by Kevin O'Connor. Um, the Celtics won Game Six despite shooting their worst three point percentage of the entire year, which was twenty percent. That's been the knock of them all year long. It's been my knock on them. It's like when the threes aren't falling, they don't win. And everyone's going to point at the fact that Jimmy and Bam did not have a good game. I mean, I don't have their combined stats in front of me, but the eye test will tell you that those two were not on par. And 9 of 37. Butler, exactly. 9 of 37. That's not good enough from their two stars. And um, had it not been for Jimmy's explosion in those last couple of minutes, uh, he would have, they, they wouldn't have even gotten close. Um, so all the, all, all, the talk, all the talk shows and everything are going to be about the Celtics blowing it. But Celtics didn't play that well either. Tatum had, what, five points after halftime. Mm. Brown was in foul trouble and was just not looking great after that great first quarter. Smart was really the saviour for most of it. Um, and, you know, I, I don't really know what else there's left to say about this game. It, 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 it mirrored game seven last year where the Celtics were comfortable all game until all of a sudden they weren't. Um, this time, though, the Heat took the lead. And, you know, I thought for sure that it was over, but... Game seven on Tuesday, anything can happen. I, I do worry that the Celtics have basically played perfect basketball for three straight games and asking them to do it again might be a bit too much. But also at the same time, Heat haven't looked good since game three. I mean, it's 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 not like it's not like Heat's been looking good and just losing these narrow games. I mean, they weren't good today. They were lucky it was only one point. If the Celtics Celtics could stop shooting themselves in the foot for five seconds, this one would have been over with five minutes left. But anyway, on to game seven next uh a few days and let's see if my emotional state holds up till then. I know we're an audio podcast, guys, but show of hands who is picking the Celtics in game seven. Ja, everyone, I think we're all picking except Tom. Tom's not, uh, he doesn't I, know what to do with his life. Though. I'm there. I, I, I plead my right to the, to the Fifth Amendment or whatever, just silence. I just, I can't jinx anything. I just, nothing. That, that's probably a really good point. Yeah, that's the worst thing a Celtic supporter could do is, oh, yeah, we'll win game seven. Look, just to set the floor for game six, because I, I think that'll go down as an all-time classic. Uh, at home, Bam Adebayo, four from 16. That's 25% from the floor. Um, he finished with 11 points and 13 rebounds, but I thought a pretty poor game from him. Cole Lowry had his moments. He was three of six for the game, but played pretty poorly early. Um, he only played 18 minutes towards the end and a couple critical baskets that started to get the heat going a bit. He did some work in the paint. Caleb Martin, uh, shout out last week. We had a segment for the Oracle, which was poorly received, widely panned. We'll never bring the Oracle back. But he said Caleb Martin might receive finals MVP votes. He was seven for 13 tonight, including four of eight from three. He was massive for them at times. Um, Jimmy Butler, we spoke about five of 21. He did finish with 24 points, but he only had 12 with uh, three and a half minutes remaining. And what was about to be the worst uh, triple-double performance from a superstar in the finals ever. And Duncan Robinson, he ended 5 of 11. He was 3 of 6 from the three-point line. And he had those open looks like you spoke about, Jack. You're pretty happy if he takes them. We pivot to the Celtics. And early, this looked like this was going nowhere for Miami. Um, Jason Tatum had that 25 in the first half. Tom, talk us through how you were feeling at the half, knowing Tatum had 25 and he's had a 50 in the playoffs already. How were you feeling then? Uh, I honestly was still just as nervous and worried and, you know, this team, this team can be up by 40 and I'm still not safe. I mean, I was watching in what game four, I think, and game five, we blew them out pretty easily. And having looked back at the box scores and everything, I'm like, I don't know why I was stressing so much, but it's just how you watch these games. Not, not At, at, at no instance was I like, Tatum's got 25, he's going to go off at 50 here. I'm like, Tatum's got 25, he might get 60 in this game or he might honestly finish with 25. You just, you never know how it goes. But I, uh, the, the biggest thing for me is Jalen Brown. Welcome to the conference finals. It's about time you showed up. I mean, sure, he's had that he's had that elbow sort of wrist sort of issue, his hand as well, when he cut himself earlier um, before the playoffs started. But games one, two, three, he was a zero. He was nothing. And even at the start of game four, he had an air ball, I think. He was just looking shaky, but he sort of weaved his way into it. And now he's attacking the basket. I'm actually confident when he dribbles into congestion. I don't think he's going to cough it up every time, but... Yeah, I, I think the Celtics have all the momentum, but it's it's Jimmy Butler. I mean, Jimmy Butler has not been good for three games. He's not going to be bad for four games. Surely not. So, 
Famous last we'll words, Tom. Uh, Yuri, just last thing on this game before we move on to the week that was in the NBA. I think also, too, the Celtics being without Malcolm Brogdon, and he'd been battling that, was it, elbow injury, too, which really affected his shooting, and he was absolutely lights out in those first two series against Atlanta and then against the 76ers, and his production, too, was, again, doubt was felt in a way, of course, but considering the Celtics pulled out the win, it sort of didn't really matter too much. But also Robert Williams's, I think during the first half, he went down to the tunnel to get his, I think his hand or wrist taped up. Yeah, wrist. And yeah, so for him to come back too and have the production he did, not just with his shot blocking, but altering shots and forcing, as we mentioned, Jimmy Butler to go outside the paint again, just in case he had his block swatted away into the second row of the stadium. So I think those whole adjustments I think that Joe Mazzulla has made thus far since that game three annihilation has gone in their favour. And I think that's the big thing too for the Celtics just going into the seventh and deciding game that they can throw up a different number of lineups and which has worked already. They had to do it in game six prior to the 76 series. They're doing it now in these last two games and it's serving it well. And I think also when they don't get stagnant and this has been constantly talked about with Boston, when their offense stagnates, that's when they get themselves into trouble. But when they get that high screen and roll, when they get the swing, swing move action, which they had one particular play, I'm pretty sure it was in the first half too, which went to Marcus Smart on the low block and he pretty sure he scored from that play. That's when they're their absolutely best, Boston. And we saw that during, of course, the first two series and the last well, last last year's playoffs on route to the NBA Finals, especially in Game 7 against the Milwaukee Bucks when they blew them out the water. It's just those sort of things get the Celtics right on track and it's it's hard to stop. And I think Miami does do it well at times as well, but I think for Boston, they don't want to get into that slow, grinded-out pace that Miami does. And I think that's something the Celtics have done exceptionally well, especially off heat turnovers. And although the Celtics have been culprits themselves in turning the ball over, when they get out in transition, they're awfully hard to stop. So they've, in terms of those other areas where they've adjusted, but also to be able to push the pace a lot further, I think it's helped them in very good stead. All right, change of pace. Everyone's heartbeats can take a settle. And we'll move on to uh, some news that happened around the league. Uh, Jules, we'll start with you. I know last week we talked about a lot of coaching rules. Uh, what was the major news piece from this week you want to flag with us? Yeah, you actually mentioned this one. I thought it was quite interesting um, given today's game. Uh, the NBA is looking at making a change to the challenge rule. So the challenge rule can be retained if correct. They're going to try it um, and then see if it goes well. So, yeah. so the Next the, season, we should say. The next season, that is. Sorry. So, yeah, if the team... Uh, Challenges a call and it's successful. They retain their challenge. And I think there's going to be a maximum of two for the game instead of one. Um, and interesting because I, I think today there was a challenge that Miami won. And then, you know, late in the game, I think Brown had a, re- a rebound um, and a shot that, you know, potentially could have been challenged. They didn't have a challenge remaining. So for those scenarios, it could really come in handy. And then in line with that, um, the NBA are going to potentially trial handing out technicals for flopping, which I think is really good because, um, we want to get that out of the game, but I also can see that getting really messy as well. Um, but yeah, the challenge rule in particular, I see no issues with um, and kind of like I think in tennis, when you you know when you get a successful challenge, you retain it. I, I think that makes sense. I mean, why lose a challenge when you use it quite early in the game um, when you were right in the first place? So I don't know. What do you boys think? I couldn't agree more with you, Julian, on that. <clears throat> um, I thought the rule should be in from the start. Like you you lose it, you gain your time out back, but you don't get that challenge back. It's like completely correct and. I was going to use the example of tennis as well. I think that's a fantastic um, example from you as well. Mm. Yuri, 10 seconds. Yes, I think the technical fouls as well for flopping are a very good one too because I think this was introduced prior to the 2012-13 season and Reggie Evans was the first player to be fined for flopping. They introduced as a $5,000 fine at the time. So I think it would be good to negate that out because it's just not a great look and refs often fall back for it. Agreed. Jack, we'll stick with you. I've had a couple of weeks away from the show. There's a lot that's gone on. What's something from this week that piques your interest? Um, huge in the terms of AR-15, Austin Reed. So <laughs> there is big talks that he wants he wants the money. Um, he says that he's loyal to the Lakers, but teams like Houston, Orlando, and San Antonio have been um, in the trade room is for potentially grabbing him. And I think that that move would be massive in terms of him actually leaving the Lakers as arguably their third best player for the last half a season, full season, 
to then going to a team like Houston and say they get James Harden as well. I think that that is um, incredible. I wish he was going to the Pistons as well. We need a three, but um, yeah. What are you? What are your thoughts, guys? I just want to see where, what you think Austin Reeves should do. I guess he's um, at times he's been the second best player on the Lakers this year, particularly as AD and LeBron uh, miss time. I think the Lakers will do everything they can to, to stick with him, but that might just drive his price up a bit higher. As you mentioned, Jack, there are a few teams that could use him. Um, hands up if you want to have a minute on Austin Reeves. I think he averaged 20 points in the playoffs as well. So he has stepped up. Um, but he, yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting point. Anyone want to chat about Austin? Yuri, go ahead. Yeah, I just think during that month of March, Alex, is when his production ex- very, um, stepped up, shall I say, and when Darvin Ham reinserts him back into the starting lineup, there was that, I think it was a March 18 game, I think. It was March 18 or March 19 against Orlando, and I'm pretty sure it was in the Lakers' victory. He had, I think it was 35 points, if I'm not mistaken, in that game and came up with a number of clutch shots to get the Lakers over the line. And he was one of the reasons why when LeBron went down that foot injury and missed time, I think, yeah, LeBron did that foot injury against Dallas in late February, and they were missing him for, was it, two, three weeks or so. That's when the Lakers season completely swung around from, was it, six games under 500 just before the All-Star break and to go on that absolute tear. I think they were, what, 18 and 9 or something to conclude the regular season and, of course, get into the playing tournament, beat Minnesota to secure that seven seed and make it all the way through to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, he's from last season as well too, Alex, I think, there were glimpses of Austin's potential. It's been building, but, hasn't it? Yes, yeah. it has been building. And I think what the Lakers can't afford to do, and this is something they did with Alex Caruso, is not offering him a large amount of money. They only offered him, what, three years, $37 million or something was their mm. deal in Chicago, offered him a bigger deal and a more of a major role as one of their defensive stoppers because that was something the Bulls were lacking away when Lonzo Ball went down with that season-ending knee injury. So... I think, again, with Austin's production, that what he's done, not only just his three-point shooting, that's been way off the charts, but I think defensively too, and just adding that different dimension alongside LeBron and Anthony Davis has been something the Lakers haven't had since probably that championship year all the way back in 2020. Yeah, just we might talk about this a touch later, but uh, do you have context in the four games of the Lakers Denver series? Austin Reeves shot uh, twenty one. Sorry, had twenty one points per game, five assists. He shot fifty five percent from the floor, but fifty six from the three point line at six attempts a game. So he's really showed up. Um, and the Lakers will struggle to keep both him and Rui Hachimura as they've indicated they want to. From next week, we're going to talk about a couple teams every week uh, about what they should do in the offseason. The Lakers might be high on that list. Sticking with them, Tom. Your uh, news of the week, I know, centers around LeBron. Yeah, well, after he got swept out of the playoffs, uh, he let the Nuggets have the limelight for about five minutes until he decided that he would uh, sort of float the idea that he's considering retirement. Um, and look, you know what? Like like most people with their decisions, I thought I would just make LeBron a uh, pros and cons list as to why he should and shouldn't retire. So uh, why I think he should retire, he's 38 years old now, 39 in December. Um, his injuries are starting to pile up. I mean, since he joined the Lakers in 2019, he had one healthy season, and that was the 2020 bubble season. And he's notably a durable man through his career too. This is the first kind of period where these injuries have pulled up. Exactly. It's the, it, this Lakers stint is the first time where you've kind of gone, well, we have to rely on LeBron's health. Whereas in Cleveland, it's, it doesn't matter if he's got a broken arm. He's going to be out there probably. Um, and, you know, look, this Lakers roster still isn't good enough to compete with some of the juggernauts in the West even with him playing at his best. So it is kind of like if he comes back next year and he plays at that high level, one, can he stay healthy? Two, is this roster good enough to compete? I don't think it is. They can make some moves. They've got a few picks. They've got some some desirable assets on the team, but who knows? But look, why he shouldn't retire though, four rings isn't even close enough in my opinion for him to be considered the GOAT. I mean, Jordan's got six. And look, it's not all about rings. Otherwise, we'd be calling Bill Russell the GOAT, and he certainly isn't. But four rings, just it's just not enough. And there are 13 players all time who have um, five rings, and that's Magic, Rodman, Kobe, Duncan, Kerr, uh, just some of the notable ones. And, you know, if, if LeBron really thinks he's the best player of all time, I don't think four rings is going to cut it. So I, don't, I do think he's going to have to come back. Um, and I still think he has gas left in the tank to come back, which is why I think he probably should come back because um, he just needs to be a bit 
cautious moving forward, but he showed that in game seven. He played everything, every every minute except for, what, four seconds, I think yeah. it was. Um, and in my opinion, I don't think his scoring title is actually safe just because the rate that the threes are going in now and the players are shooting threes, the scoring is going up. Um, and plus with like advanced sports science and everything, these younger players are going to be able to play for longer. So I don't think that he's, obviously he's got a huge gap, but who's to say Luca doesn't play for another 20 years or even, even a Tatum or a Booker, like they're still young. They could easily surpass his scoring record. Um, and look, he has stated he wants to play with his son, but he sort of pulled back a bit on that and been like, I don't know if my son wants that. Personally, I don't think I could play on a team with my dad. So I don't know if his son would want that. Um, but look, overall, I don't think he's retiring. ESPN sources yesterday ESPN sources yesterday said he's probably going to return. I mean, they were eight wins away from another championship. So I don't know what you guys are thinking, but personally, I think he's coming back. I think I agree with you there, Tom. A couple other things from around the league that's happened this week. Uh, the Bucks hired Adrian Griffin this morning as their head coach. Uh, reportedly, Nick Nurse has pulled out uh, and then they hired Griffin. So maybe Nick Nurse is uh, securing another job somewhere else. Um, Griffin's been an assistant with the Raptors, and I think he played nine years in the league, undrafted in 96, and started playing in 99, um, last with the Sonics, I think, in 2008. Um, his son actually got drafted this year by Atlanta too, Adrian Griffin Jr. Um, the Clippers lost their GM, Michael Winger, and you might go, who? And that's probably a good thing for a GM. You don't <laughs> really want to know what they're doing. But he's off to Washington. Um, they haven't had a general manager for some time. Um, Phoenix has turned down, uh, sorry, Phoenix coach Monty Williams has turned down an offer from the Pistons. Sorry, Jack, to coach there. Apparently, uh, Mark Stein reporting they offered him a lot of money and he said no. Sticking with the Pistons, today's the 15-year anniversary that the Detroit last won a playoff game. Uh, Jack, you can unmute yourself and you can react to that if you want, but that one might hurt a little bit. I'm really sorry about that. I go for the Pistons and I go for Essendon who haven't won a final since 2004. Um, Liverpool just didn't make the uh, Champions League this week. So, yeah, thanks for rubbing all of that in at the moment. You've still got your hair, mate. You've still got your hair. You've done all right. Uh, And finally, Carmelo Anthony is retired. Anyone 15 seconds on Melo retiring after 19 years in the league? Yeah, pre-stellar career. Hey, Alex, from being drafted third overall in 2003 by the Nuggets, getting into the Western Conference Finals in 09. That was a pretty good Nuggets team, though, right? They had Alan Ives at the time. They had Marcus Camby, who was part of that Knicks 1999 team to the NBA Finals. They had Kenyon Martin, J.R. Smith. That was a pretty stacked group that they had. I think Chris Anderson, I'm pretty sure, was in that Birdman, team or yep. not. Yeah, Birdman was in that team at that time. So they had a lot of exceptionally offensively gifted players, the Denver Nuggets under George Carl at that time. And then Mello, of course, being traded alongside, I think it was, just trying to remember off the top of my head now, it's disappeared now. So I think it was February 22nd, 2011, he got traded to the New York Knicks, of course, and part of that deal with Danilo Gallinari and a few other players as part of that deal. And, of course, him and Amari Stoudemire took a bit of time to coexist alongside one another because Amari is such a force as he was with the Phoenix Suns. And that brilliant 2013 season, Knicks had winning 54 games, making through to the Eastern Conference semis before losing to Indiana. I think it was in six games. And then the next season, narrowly missing out. And then I think just from there, the Knicks fans, is I think everyone here well knows about is when they don't see success, that's often when they vent their frustrations on one particular player. And that's when I think Melo felt the full brunt of it. I think it was midway through the 2016-17 season when the Knicks got Derek Rose, I got Courtney Lee, I got Joe Kim Noah, Chris Upspozingas, I'm pretty sure, was in his second season. The bench was all right. They had Brandon Jennings and Carlo Quinn, and they were expected to win, I think it was between 45 and 50 games. And I think about by the midway point, it wasn't looking on that trajectory anyway. The Knicks were floundering, and they had to find someone to vent their frustrations on. And Melo, unfortunately, was that man to... Yeah, put the finger on and take the blame and shoulder responsibility in the way. But why he delivered for the Knicks too, Alex, it's hard enough to deliver stellar production in front of the bright lights of Madison Square Garden. And he did that night in, night out. You think that brilliant 62-point outing against the Charlotte Bobcats in, I think it was a January 2014 game when no Bobcats player could guard him from the low block from the three-point line. He was just unbelievable that night. And... There's been so many stellar performances from Carmel. I think that first game of the 2013 playoffs against Boston, of course, he had 36 points in game one in that narrow victory. 
So there are many outstanding highlights that Mello's had right throughout his career too. And being, of course, I think that infamous press conference, remember when he came to OKC and he was told that he would start on the bench. Do you remember that? <laughs> You're pushing my memory. <laughs> I, I, I'm not the basketball encyclopedia like you, Yuri. Picking out dates of trades. In- incredible. Um, I think Carmelo finishes the 11th combined most scoring man in ABA, NBA history. So it just sits out of that top 10. But um, Hall of Famer, I think, is likely coming his way. Uh, moving on to our performances of the week. Uh, Tom, we might start with you. You've got a lot to choose from. There's only been five games since we last talked, but a couple big names are in contention. What's your performance of the week? Yeah, well, in preparation for this podcast, I didn't really think I'd want to be speaking about the Celtics at all, but that uh, that quickly changed. But I picked uh, Jokic's game four, which a lot was spoken about LeBron playing everything but four seconds of the game. Jokic played 45 minutes, which for him just never happens. And he had 30 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists, one steal, three blocks, only three turnovers. And also, he had five fouls, but stayed on the court. I mean, it's pretty hard to do for the amount of time that he stayed on there, but... They needed everything from him because LeBron was also throwing haymakers for the first half. Second half, he did slow down, but LeBron was still giving it his all. Um, and he shot 46% from the field, 50% from three. And I'm sure you guys are probably watching or at least seen those two crazy shots that Jokic hit. Where Unreal, yeah. I re- like, I'm, I'm watching it. and you know, I'm not a Lakers fan, obviously, but I'm watching it. I'm like, that is a great defensive possession from the Lakers. They forced this horrible shot. Next minute it goes in. And, and you're like, all right, well, you get one. Normally teams get one lucky shot every game. And he went and did it again in the, in the fourth quarter. And it's just ridiculous. And look, he closed out the series in four. And now the Nuggets just have this massive advantage. I mean, the Heat and Celtics have just beaten each other up over six games. They've still got another game. And uh, what game, uh, game seven will be on Tuesday. And I think the finals start on Friday. So that's Australian time. So the Nuggets are going to have, what, about two a week and a half of rest while these two teams are just beating each other up. And, I, you know, hat off to Jokic. He is the best player in the league now, in my opinion. And, you know, he could be very well in two weeks' time, uh, taking that finals MVP trophy back to, Jok- uh, back to uh, his horses. Uh, Jules, performance of the week for you. I've got a unique one. It's hard when you hear a performance like Jokic when he's got that, a line like that. But I've gone with Marcus Smart in game five um, where he had 23 points, three rebounds, two assists, but five steals. And I thought um, it's one of those performances that might not – I mean, it is a pretty good stat line anyway. But what he did was set the tone for the Celtics. And um, even after the game, Jalen Brown, um, what, what did he, he said Smart was just a beast tonight. He was incredible on both ends. And uh, the coach reiterated that as well. And um, – for if for those of us who watched the game, within the first fifteen or so seconds, he, he got a good steal on Adebayo, and he sort of set the tone for the game. They 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 got out to a fifteen point lead, and they didn't they didn't look back after that. And 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 not only that, you know, as Tom said last week, the Celtics need to get the ball into Tatum's hands, and that's exactly what they did. Tatum had seven assists, eleven assists, and he had um he had five tonight. But being the stats man I am, I know he actually had six. So hopefully the NBA changed that. Um, but yeah, smart. I think he, he had a new role. He was playing a little bit off the ball, so he only had two assists, but he took that. Uh, he took that upon his stride and he hit, you know, four out of six threes, I think, or, or maybe hit, maybe that was Derek White. No, no it was four out four, of six. Yeah. yeah, he hit four out of six threes, Marcus Smart, and uh, Derek White hit six out of eight threes, I think. So, um, but yeah, both ends, Smart was fantastic. And I think, yeah, he was the MVP for game five. Jack, your performance of the week, still a couple of good ones on the board. Oh, <clears throat> well, funny thing is, I had the same as Julian. Um, <laughs> I had Marcus Smart game five and my reasons were <clears throat> very similar. Like the stat lines weren't, that great in terms of he's obviously usually big on assists, um, big defensively. Obviously, he had the five steals, but for him to actually shoot the ball 12 times and get it in seven times, um, he's never really been an offensive threat. So to have 23 points um, in game five and then 21 points again today, seven from 15 from the field, just goes to show that he's got a few more weapons up his sleeve and um, I probably should give him a little bit more credit than what I usually do. So, yeah, yeah, he was awesome. Yeah, post-show a couple of weeks ago, we were on the trade machine trying to find a destination for Marcus Smart, and it seems like that's probably a bad idea at the moment. Uh, Yuri, your performance of the week. I think I'll just go Jalen Browns today, Alex, too, the 26 points that he had. And very early on, he got going. I think he made his first three shots of the game. Now, all from the mid-range, about, I think it was 15 to 18 feet, and sort of set the tone for him in terms of why well, he was out to do defensively as well, but offensively as well. Even though we spoke about earlier in the show, he was in foul trouble, picked up that fourth foul during the third term, but he still found a way to make timely shots when the Celtics need him to. And of course, his shooting has been 
Yeah, it's been unusually way with this series. And normally he's an excellent shooter from the floor. He's normally a solid three-point shooter. And, of course, I think he was dealing with, was it, pretty sure I'm not mistaken, a hand injury or finger injury or something like that. Tom's not along, series. yeah. Yeah, so for him to overcome that today when the Celtics absolutely needed another, not a miracle in a way, but another outstanding performance from either Tatum or Brown, he delivered it. And it's big because it, it has come at the right time. And the two, again, combined for just over, I think it was 50 points as well, even though Tatum only shot, what, 8 of 22 from the field. That's where the Celtics lean on so much that Brown-Tatum combination and they're delivering when it counts again. And who knows, once again, what they do in terms of do they go f- – In terms, I think also just want to touch on one more thing as well, Alex. They did target Gabe Vincent a lot as well with Jalen Brown playing on Vincent majority of this series. And I wouldn't be surprised yet again if they do go to that option yet again. Maybe the Celtics throw Jalen down onto the low post and try and get some post touches because he's got, what, a five-inch – Size advantage over Vincent. Why not do that? Game into game into that position. Go for a turnaround fadeaway. Maybe a spin on the low block and get get an easy and one potentially. So they've got an array of different options there, Boston, to utilize Jalen for Game Seven. Uh, just uh, following on from Yuri, I just wanted to note as well before we, we were talking about Smart and his steals. Um, uh, one thing I meant to note was in Game. Uh, two and three, the Celtics only had two and three steals. And then in game five, they had 13. So you can see the difference there. And then another one, just touching on Derek White hitting his six out of eight threes. I meant to mention today, like his his run in the Heat series, these are his three-pointers, three, 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 six, and then another three today. I mean, <laughs> unreal shooting from him. Like how good is that? And most of them are out of only small attempts. I think five, three out of five, three out of five, three out of six. I mean, geez, he's just shooting lights out at the moment. And then what, that's why I said, what a, what a great person to uh, finish the game today. It's hard for me to um, celebrate the Celtics, you know. <laughs> it's always hard to celebrate the Celtics. But Jason Tatum's game four was my performance of the week. He had 34 points, but in that fourth quarter, he shot five or seven for 11 points, uh, two assists, and if I'm not mistaken, a steal as well, to really drag the Celtics back from the brink of elimination. They were down 3-0, um, and he put the team on his back when it mattered most. Jokic, also worth mentioning, game four uh, in the sweep against the Lakers. He had 30 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists, and he broke a Wilt Chamberlain record. And as you know, anytime you break a Wilt Chamberlain record, I get to talk about it. Uh, It was most uh, triple doubles in a postseason. I think that was his eighth, if I'm not mistaken, um, to break that one. And shout out to LeBron, 31 points in a half in game four. Um, Moving on, we're going to talk about that Lakers-Denver recap. Anything that we didn't discuss last week that occurred in game four that anybody desperately wants to talk about? because Denver are basically sitting out for a week and a half and earning some much-needed rest. I think it was interesting as well, Alex. I was just looking through the box score, and Christian Braun, Christian Brown, should I say, didn't get any minutes at all. They went with just, of course, Jeff Green and Jeff Green and Bruce Brown for the series, and off that game four in particular. I'd just be interested to see what Coach Malone does for the NBA Finals. Does he, of course, go back to eight-man rotation? Does he bring in Reggie Jackson at the best of times as well to give Murray a short rest. Again, I don't know exactly what he'll do with that as well. The small ball with Aaron Gordon, if they do play Boston, do they potentially bring a DeAndre Jordan or Thomas Bryant in just for some short minutes? Because Boston do have that flexibility, of course, with playing Horford center, Williams at center, putting those two together in the front court. Grant Williams and Horford, Grant Williams and Robert Williams. There's just too many assortment of combinations that the Celtics potentially, if they win game seven, advance through to the NBA finals have. A couple interesting things, because we know the Denver are going to move on. So they obviously swept the Lakers. Uh, they're heading into their first NBA finals, but they've actually been to the finals once before in the ABA. They played uh, Dr. J in the Nets back in 1976, which I think was the last ABA season. Uh, Nuggets were actually up 22 in the third corner of that game, but Dr. J had 31 um, I was going back through the stats and trying to find some footage. Rookie, uh, a guy who made the Hall of Fame later in his career, uh, David Thompson, had 42 points in that game six uh, elimination game for Denver. I never realized he's got the coolest nickname of any old guy I've ever come across, Skywalker. Has anybody heard that? Or is that, am I just not making this up? I've never heard that. And I thought that's the coolest nickname. We're getting lots of shakes. Tom, you can jump in. I know you've got some Denver stuff as well. <laughs> No, it was a great nickname. I, I support you on that one, so despite the silence from the uh, from the panel. But, Thanks um, a lot. It means a lot, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, no, I just the thing that stands out between watching Denver and watching this Eastern Conference Finals is just how clean they are and how perfect they are. They are playing basketball to perfection. Like they shot forty nine point three percent from the field and forty percent from three in the series against the Lakers. I mean, forty percent from three is nuts. Um, but and they only averaged nine point eight turnovers a game. I mean, you look at the Celtics and Heat teams over the last couple of games; they have been throwing the ball away left, right, and center. Nuggets only averaged 9.8 per game. And, like, they play a team game. Like, Jokic and Murray, sure, they burn a lot of the offensive load, but they share the ball. I mean, Michael Porter Jr., as Alex touched on last week, had six assists in that game three. Like, he's the ultimate ball stopper. And when he's getting assists, that's when you know it's clicking on all ends. And I don't know if anyone from either the Heat or the Celtics can actually defend Jokic. I mean, Grant Williams called himself Batman because he did a good job at, doing the, at, at defending Joker, Joker, but, like, he just needs to stop talking after 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 game three. He st- after game two, he stopped talking, and it's gone it's gone perfect for him. Um, and look, he can dictate the taste the the pace of the game. And look, he 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 has shown vulnerability on the defense and that stretch they had in the regular season when they went through that like, what four or five losses in a row. Everyone kind of went, oh, here we go, Denver's falling, but they fixed it, and it's not come up once in the playoffs. If it was ever going to come up, you would have thought it'd come up already. And I personally think he's probably going to average triple double in the finals. So look, we'll see how it goes, but. I'm picking Denver either way, just to spoil a lot. I think you're spot on, Tom. Jules, go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't know if anyone saw the clips on the NBA side of Denver in their locker room. Um, the scenes in there, they look like they've just got such a good culture at the moment. They celebrate every little small win for every player, they, and they applaud them all, and they get around. Even like little stats like Porter getting a double-double or um, Contavious Pope knocking down threes, they celebrate it. They're looking really, really good. Um, just a question for the team. Have we, and this is, you know, probably to the detriment of myself because I've been harping on about Embiid all season, but do we, have we pulled the trigger too early on the Embiid MVP talk? Because I think looking at Jokic and what he's done now, have we made a mistake with that award? Because he clearly, I know it's about the regular season, but if we had just waited a few more weeks, I think it's really obvious who the MVP is this year. Contrary to everything I've been saying all season, which is about Embiid. And I know it's about the season as well. So I just think, you know, could we wait a little bit longer? Because no one would bat an eyelid now if Jokic was named the uh, MVP. Thoughts? It's it's sort of a detriment to the award that we do award it in the regular season because unlike other sports, there's such a difference between the postseason and the regular season in basketball because it's 82 games, sure, but it all comes down to those four playoff series where Embiid has time and time again not shown up and Jokic has. And look, Embiid deserved it. And honestly, I'm glad Embiid got it because we'll never, ever have to hear another thing about exactly. you know, people hating Embiid and whatnot. And, you know, but yeah, look, Jokic, Jokic has probably got, honestly, he's probably got the better title. He's now, you know, basically everyone's picked for the best player in the league and he's got a chance to win a championship, which Embiid has never had. So I'll, I'll throw to you in a second, Yuri, but in Embiid's defense, I can't believe I'm saying this. He did pick up an injury uh, three games into that first round series. So let's just set that on the table and Yuri, go ahead. Yes, I think as well, too, when you look at Embiid's numbers from the regular season, I think it was about 33 points a game. It dropped all the way down, I think, 10 points during the playoffs. I think it says a lot, too, about I think we saw in game six, right, where Embiid didn't basically touch the ball at all when the 76ers were up and absolutely wilted under pressure, too. They needed him to command the ball in that way. And the other part as well, I think, just differing away from Embiid as well with what Jokic has done, and this has always been something I think with Jokic in terms of his selflessness and when he gets his teammates going with those nifty behind and back passes over the shoulder looks and crazy kick out passes when no one's expecting it all. That's when he gets his offense flowing. And I think the other part where I think teams don't tend to pay too much attention to him is when he just casually just steps outside the arc and whoever it was, DeAndre Ayton was playing drop coverage or even I think it was in the first round series with Rudy Gobert playing drop coverage. He just effortlessly walked in for a three-pointer. And it was like, you can't just leave that much guarding space, surely, to allow Jokic to shoot from three. Yes, of course he's going to pass the ball around and set a high screen and roll pick for Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray and dive back to the rim. But he's still got to try and at least pay some attention and not allow him that much freelance room to operate from three. And I think whoever it's going to be between Boston and Miami can't fall into that same trap again and allow Jokic to just continuously knock down threes as well he's done during his playoffs at, what, over 40% clip. 
I had, um, I, look, it's gotten to that point of the podcast. We were watched such a frenetic game in that Heat uh, Celtics game. I had a secret segment plan that was NBA finals based, but honestly, I just needed to calm down. So I thought this week for Alex's secret segment, we could all play a game of Pertle. We could relax, just take a load off. Tom's still shaking. I can see his camera in the background. So our first episode of the podcast, I think it was our first episode, we played a game of Pertle. And Julian, you'd never played the game, am I correct? That's right. First time playing it last time. Are you any more familiar now? I understand the concept now. I do. Okay. So for those listening at home that don't understand what's happening, uh, Pirtle's a guessing game where you guess a player um, and there's a random guy in the NBA that's selected and you get prompts based on his height, his weight, his jersey number. Um, Jules, since you were the last person to talk to me, we're going to start with you. Guess a random NBA player and we'll uh, see how smart we are. Sometimes these are really deep cuts too. Should I start with someone well-known? Is that usually the uh, strategy? You can if you'd like. Let's start with uh, let's start with Jokic, the man of the hour. <laughs> okay, we're going to start with Nikola. Well, Derek, Derek White actually would have been better. <laughs> Nikola yeah. Jokic, not Nikola Jovic, who's on Miami Heat. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. Okay, oh. well, Jesus, this is the first <laughs> oh. guess, and we've got the team right. We've got the conference right. Um, the position oh. is flagging us yellow. So this guy plays center occasionally is less than six foot 11, is less than the age of 28, and number 15 on his jersey number or lower. Uh, Jack, you're not on mute anymore. Have you got a guess? Michael Porter Jr. Jeez, <laughs> this is going to be an all-timer. Forget it in within two. Michael oh. Porter Jr. is a close guess. Uh, it, that center forward position, definitely. We've bang on with the height at 6'10", but someone between the age of 24 and 28. Yuri, your guess. Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown typing in. No. So Bruce Brown's guard forward 6'4". So we're looking for a 6'10 guy on Denver who plays the center forward position. Come on, guys. They're in the NBA finals. Jeff Green. Uh, it's, it's whoever wears number 13. Whoever wears number 13. Thomas Bryant. Say again, yeah, Jack. Oh, yeah. Thomas Bryant. <laughs> what is? When did he go there? Oh. Oh, Thomas yeah. Bryant. We got him four. <laughs> oh. I'd say that's one below par. We got lucky with Denver straight yeah. away, Jules. So good work, mate. Nice. That See, was all we... your work, not mine. That was <laughs> Don't we all feel a lot calmer now? I know I do. Yeah, it's stressful <laughs> that. All right, guys. We've got five minutes left to chat about any kind of basketball we want. We The unfortunate part is we don't know what the NBA final is going to look like. We have a fair idea that maybe the Celtics are going to rush through. Do we want to have a hypothetical Celtics versus Denver talk for five minutes? No, don't jinx it. Don't jinx it. Let's not jinx it, people. Tom, you can just leave the call if you want. Me, Jack, and Julie, <laughs> and you will talk about it. I'd love to chat about it. <laughs> I think it's going to be a ripper series if, it, if that's the case. Yeah. I, think, I think the Celtics are a better threat against Denver than what the Heat are. Um, I just feel that Celtics have a better depth on their bench in compared to what Denver do. Um, like we spoke about Brogdon and um, players of that sort of ill, like he was six man of the year. But, um, yeah, I think that Celtics versus Denver will be a better final than Miami versus Denver. That's just my opinion, though. What do you guys think? Can I ask you a question, Jack? I know oh. on your show, shout out to the Sports Confidential Podcast, you have uh, a fraud award. Are the Miami Heat frauds? <laughs> um, not yet because they, if, if they lose and they go down um, – I think it's like zero in the hundred and whatever it is for the three nil down. I don't know the number off the top of my head. I'm sure Yuri probably does. Um, but yeah, they will be massive frauds. They'll be getting three votes in the fraud award this week if if they can't pull this off. Yuri, go ahead. I think that record Jack was speaking of. So Miami's the 151st team. I was just looking up on ESPN a couple of days ago when they actually it wasn't ESPN. Sorry, it was on the TNT coverage when they put it up there. So the 150th team, well, 150 teams before were up 3-0 and had won a series from there. And Miami's the 151st team and up three, they were up 3-0, but now the series is tied at three apiece. So it could well be the first team to lose a series from 3-0 up. It's just, it is absolutely drastic to think about that. Here's a little quiz for you. I did have it on the document further down. So if you haven't got there, don't look at it. But do you know the only three times in history where a team has forced game seven after being down 3-0? Oh, it was Dallas against Portland in 2003. Tom, you've got your hand up too. 
Oh, no, they, they showed it at the start of the broadcast today. It was like Rochester and the Knicks, I think. It wasn't like the Yeah, in 51. Yeah. yeah, Rochester becoming the Kings about 30 years later. And but... the other one was Utah, Denver in the second round in 1994. And this will be the first time a team has forced Game 7 after being three down with Game 7 in their home court. So, Tom, again, not to jinx it, I just think we're going to get a really good game of basketball Tuesday Australian time. Shout out to our uh, French and Indian listeners who aren't going to be there Tuesday. Oh, I can't wait. I've got a day off tomorrow on Monday, and I should just push that to Tuesday and stay home and watch Game 7. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I've, I've cleared the schedule, that's for sure. It's, it's either going to be an afternoon and morning or a celebrating, that's for sure, <laughs> Tuesday. But schedule's clear. All right, Tom, you got anything to plug this week? Any articles going up? Um, I had one about uh, about Coach Bud go up on the Raw the other day. I've got a weekly AFL article on the Footy Live app, and uh, I don't know. I might might need to might need to get some emotions out about the Celtics team on uh, after Tuesday, so we'll see. But yeah, read me on the Raw. We might need to book your therapist, depending on how Tuesday goes, Tom. <laughs> oh, I'm going to need a doctor on Tuesday. My heart's <laughs> going to be anything like today, so. Yuri, have you got anything coming up? Yeah, got a couple got to look at too, Alex. I think on the Fremantle Dockers turnaround in the last month for Zero Hanger, and there was another one I was looking at too, probably in the next week or two, also on Zero Hanger, about the evolution of the interchange cap and how it's evolved and the set rotations and the reasons why for it. And the other one too, probably going to look at doing before Tuesday's Game 7 as well about Boston's turnaround thus far and could we see something unbelievable happen in this wild series has been for sure. Jack, I've been listening to the Sports Confidential podcast the last couple of weeks. You don't just focus on the NBA. You've got a couple of sports under your belt. Do you want to plug that one before we exit? Yeah. So if you listen, if you like other sports, like I mentioned earlier, especially um, EPL, NRL, AFL, all the likes, um, go and give it a listen because we sort of cover a little bit of everything. And um, as you can tell, I sort of take things pretty lightly. So it's um it's a good laugh along the way. Um, a few of the other boys bring in some good um, analysis on other sports. And, yeah, it's just good to have a quick deep dive for the week. From one North Queensland Cowboys supporter to another, can we just drop them out of the show the next few weeks, please? If you're listening from overseas, <laughs> Cowboys have just been brutal to watch. I think we had a 66 to 12 flogging by the worst team in the league or something. Just no Cowboys talk for a couple of weeks, please. Yeah, well, well they're actually um, right next to me is the Fraud Awards and the MVP, and they're, they're leading it at the moment. So, yeah, <laughs> you're correct. Jules, anything for you to plug this week? Uh, just the uh, AFL podcast we do on Thursdays with Yuri um, on the Mojo Sports Network. That's a, a new one that has just started and it's uh, been taken off pretty well from what I hear. I know you're working on something else as well, so we'll talk about that when time comes. Great. And the five of us have an article that goes up weekly on the NBA Live app by Sportsmate. We talk about a couple of topics every week that interest us, so read us there. I'm Alexander J from the 5-Minute Podcast, Bibble Bites, but uh, we'll join you here next week for an hour's worth of sports talk. The NBA Finals will be uh, two games underway, I think, by the next time we talk, gentlemen. So take care. Any last words? No. Good luck, good luck Tom. We, we'll be thinking of it. <laughs> yeah. Game seven. That's all i got to say. Game keep, seven. Keep, keep the sassy text off the group chat, though. That, that, that Joe was doing time, that one. That one, that one didn't settle too well. Why had to hit that shot. Might not have been appearing today. My bad, mate. I'll, I won't do that again. <laughs> all right. Thanks for joining me, guys. See you next week. Thanks. See you, guys. Cheers, Alex. If you've made it all the way through, please give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. That really helps us out. And we'll be back to talk more hoops with you in a week's time.